0: thinking basketball podcast my name is ben welcome back to part two of our delusional maniacal ridiculous effort to rank the best defenders i don't even know rank we just wanted to talk about the best defenders i don't know how we started ranking them trying to sort out who the best defenders are of this generation of the last 15 years. Why 15 years? Who knows? It's a round number. Last time we did the top eight uh, big men and we did, you know, we did eight Cody because we figured big men, they have huge defensive impact. What else are you going to ask of a big man? He can't dribble and shoot threes. So we got to, we got to give a little love to the, to the big people out there and their defense Today, Maybe we'll try to go for five wing defender. I feel like we're going to talk about 26 wing defenders, but we'll try to actually rank five. Um, this, let me just say at the top, are you okay? Are you ready to do this? Are you
1: are you nervous? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I'm nervous or I'm just like in awe of this colossal task that we've undertaken. Because it's, you know, like you said, with the eight thing, like maybe if we do five, there's just so many guys that I considered to be in the top five that I'd like, I don't know how to separate them at a certain point. I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't rank them anymore. I just can't
0: do it. The, they're, they're more compressed together in value. Trying to figure out the value is harder. There's fewer data signals that we traditionally have. In, in, a, in an area where we already are low on data, which is defense, um, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm, I'm jealous. The dog is asleep behind us. That's where I think I should be for this episode and let some, oh, sorry, she heard that I mentioned her name. Um, Because this is just, this is grueling. This is splitting hairs, figuring out the value of these players. And uh, I I think we should just, I think we should just jump right in. I think we should just jump right in. Uh, Yeah, you have a question. What, what?
1: yeah maybe before we jump in because i think something that gets really difficult when it comes to wing and then you know in the future guard defenders i think there has to be like an undergirding philosophy that you come to the table with and that sort of informs why you pick player a versus player b but then again sometimes it just like overrides it because you have to vibe it so like what are the kinds of things you look for when you're scouting a wing defender
0: i I reject i of having a singular philosophy, because the beauty of basketball is you can provide value in so many different ways. Some guys are great rim protectors. Some guys are great point of attack defenders. Now, I think if you're only a great point of attack defender, it's hard to probably muster up the elite value we're going to get to at the top of this list. And that's just from looking at data over the years and not just looking at a single player but looking at hey here's 10 or 20 players who specialize in point of attack here's 10 or 20 players who are big and switchable and protect the rim and here's 10 or 20 big men and noticing the difference in the average of those groups over the years so I think if you only specialize in one thing that thing better be like protecting the rim and the pain and being destructive there but in the case of these players today I think what makes wings so cool, Cody, besides the fact that they let animals fly and things like that, um, I think what makes wings and basketball so cool is they, they both these days protect the point of attack and switch into the paint. They play off ball on the nail. They slide over. They help. They use their length to get in passing lanes. They sometimes chase players around screens, although that can be harder if you're big, Uh, They switch on to big men. It's just they're so versatile. They do so many interesting things. So that's my philosophy. My philosophy is I don't have a philosophy. I look at the guy and I say, how much juice can you extract from the lemon that you like to squeeze?
1: Oh, I like that. Where's like the last episode we talked about, like the player? That's going to be the bedrock of your defense. It's like once you have this guy, you can kind of build around it. And I think this is the next person that's like, all right, where can we start plugging those gaps? And those gaps can be different depending on who that first guy is. And I think what's cool is some of these guys are better at like maybe they switch down and defend smaller and quicker players better. I think most of them skew up, can maybe defend up, can protect the rim a little bit. Uh, But like you said, there's just I think there's more variety of the ways that they play defense than maybe we saw with the big men. Uh, but like you said, the, the the statistical signals make it really difficult. So I, I don't know about you, Ben, but over this last week, I've just been like trying to seek out every clip that I possibly can, F- trying to find random games from 2015, being like, all right, how many of these clips do I need to see? Is this good enough to see it? What sorts of things am I looking for? It's, it's just been a, an adventure, Ben.
0: Well, that's a good, I think it's a good time to state that I want to do this podcast because I haven't spent a year looking at all the defensive specialists from you know the hawks and the thunder in 2015 these are players that i have notes on i have impressions of but they haven't been given the treatment that some of the star players are given, whether it's a greatest peak series. Now we're doing offensive legends, um, the player profiles that I'll do during the year or when we look at a team and we put them under a microscope. So this is in a way a preliminary exercise. It's a slightly higher level exercise, but I still wanted to do it, Cody, because I think it's really cool to document this process, uh, both for myself, but also hopefully for the audience where if I get to come back and do a defensive series in the future, I will have refined thoughts that you can then connect back to what we say here at a slightly higher level. I, I say slightly higher because some of these players uh, I've, I've done work on. So I do have uh, the clip repository. I do have the notes. I do have the stats. I do kind of have that internally about their strengths and weaknesses. But some of the other specialists, it's more like, yeah, I had notes on you like seven years ago, but you haven't been around in like seven years. Uh, I don't remember all your details of your footwork and, you know, where you're weak off ball. So that's exciting. The other thing in my head these days, especially as it pertains to defense, is we have very limited data. And then we get these regular season signals like with plus minus or last time we talked about estimated plus minus EPM from dunks and threes and I think especially in this group of wing defenders over the last decade EPM probably does a really nice job of capturing like what's going on with your plus minus on your team what's going on with some tracking data how are your opponents that you're matched up with doing I kind of trust that but it's only regular season man We don't really have it for the playoffs then. So then I'm doing this thing where I'm like trying to look at film and trying to look at some of the playoff plus minus we have and say, okay, does this hold? or get even more valuable in a playoff setting against elite opponents? Or is it something that it looks like it works really well in the regular season, but you get to the playoffs and it's like, uh, I don't know. You're maybe maybe you're not quite as valuable against the absolute best wing scorers in the league or whatever whatever your role is. I don't know, Cody. I don't know. We'll see.
1: I think there's also that element of, like, knowing what kinds of skills actually translate well to the playoffs. So when you see a guy doing this kind of stuff in the regular season, and then you can maybe go into the playoffs and be like, all right, they can still do these basic things that they're very good at and if they are able to hold that, then their value will hold in the playoffs. Statistically, let me ask you a question, because I know you just touched on it. There's a there's a site that's like, I know there's different variations of it, but NBA Shot Charts is one of them that has a defensive APM number. I said that really slowly because I, I tripped over myself for a second. Uh, these sorts of numbers just look at like the interaction between how a team performs with a player on versus off compared to how all their teammates are. It's, it's very interesting. You have a video on it from like two years ago on how these stats are constructed. How much stock do you put into those kinds of three year defensive numbers when we're looking at these kinds of guys
0: for the regular season? Yes, I put a decent amount of stock compared to um anything else because I don't think we have a ton of stuff, so it gives me a nice high level snapshot, especially if I can see it consistently or if you change teams and I see it uh, that's going to get me to pay attention, but what? what I'm not super comfortable doing almost regardless of the source is saying, here's some regular season multi-year plus minus data that's adjusted and looks nice and tidy. And you know, uh, defensive player of the year guy is number one and five time all defender is number two. It looks good. What I'm not comfortable doing is saying player one was plus 2.7 and player two is plus 2.3. So player one is definitely better than player two. It's more like, it's more like, giving me the groups to look at. And if I see a large difference, like a consistent point or point and a half, then I may have to like try to explain that away. But I think for this data that we're looking at for wing defenders, if you're within like half a point of someone else, uh, that's pretty negligible to me for the regular season.
1: Because I know for me, like, like you just said, I like to look at kind of the groupings. Like, are you consistently in like the top 10 of the league? Right, yeah. Are you kind of in the top 20, top 50, top 100 range? Do you break the top 100? And I feel like if you can do that across a couple of three-year samples and I'm like, all right, we can be reasonably sure that this is picking up on some kind of signal that you're doing something very valuable on defense. Now, I think we've lost everyone talking about stats, Ben. You want to start diving into some of these honorable mentions? Uh, Yeah,
0: I wanted to ask you about What you want to do with, I mean, I don't know if they're your honorable mentions, but I alluded to it a second ago, Andre Roberson of the Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City Thunder. It's like a 6'8", 6'9", just can guard all kinds of multiple positions, crazy length, pretty quick for his size, and another guy put in that category from around that same time period maybe he was a couple years before in terms of peak i can't remember right now what about tabo Cephalosha? what do you what do you do with players like this how do you feel about them
1: so robertson was actually probably my my first off the top 5 like if i were to extend out the list he probably would have been my 6 okay he, he's just Man, he just flew around everywhere. I think you I don't even know if you referenced it on the show or if it was beforehand, but some of the ways that he could stick with a guy and chase around screens and the way that he could just like immediately drive out, close out on a diamond, like change direction and go somewhere else, there were very few guys that showed that kind of athleticism and discipline when it came to their defensive awareness and i know he's not somebody that's tasked with basically anything on offense which i think is going to be an interesting part of this conversation because a couple of the guys we'll be talking about have a much larger load on offense but uh just strictly on what i saw on defense there are very few wing guys chasing people around that i think are better than him in the last 15 years
0: yeah and i want to try to throw in some numbers where we have them for for these wings so uh robertson was in in Playoff LeBron. That stat we talked about last time. Three-year playoff LeBron. he His peak is plus 2.6 in that time period 2015 to 2017, which is pretty good amongst this group we're going to talk about. It's right there. But the thing is, Cody only plays like 650 minutes in that stretch, so it's hard to get samples sometimes for these guys from the playoffs. The samples are small anyway, and we got some defensive specialists, and, you know, he had a harder time staying on the court, depending on this series, because he was such a specialist and was a weak shooter on the other end. In estimated plus minus, he has the fourth highest peak of this group of wing defenders that, that I looked at for this episode at plus 3.2, and from 2015 to 2018, he's always, you know, really good, like plus two, plus three, top 10, top 20 in the league, things like that. So the statistical signals are there for him. Um, I don't... I've, you had him just outside the top five? What about Cephalosha?
1: I. That's actually a guy that I didn't scout as much here. There was just... I don't know. Something didn't pop about him where I didn't have him in this upper group. Did you have him up here with uh, Robertson and other people that would be just outside the top five? I,
0: he was a name to me because he keeps coming up in statistics that are similar, uh, he, he, I think he peaked. You could argue that maybe he peaked a little bit earlier, but his stats aren't quite as good as some of these other players. But he's another one of these sort of long, rangy specialists who uh, can guard multiple positions on the outside. I think I'm with you in that I think if I had to pick, I'd probably defer to Andre a little bit. Um, but who else? Who Who else did you have in your, you know, trying to figure out who can make the cut here
1: okay so let me throw out a guy that was also very close i didn't quite get him in my top five but i should i say him if i think there's a chance he's in your top oh, five yes you
0: definitely should because i i might have to change my order on the fly here i actually i will be transparent with everyone um i mean we, we usually are but i'm literally looking at the list and no one else can see the list i only have four selected I'm just, I have a placeholder for the fifth. So we're talking it out. We're talking out who I'm going to put in that number five spot. So I want to know who else you considered here. Last 15 years, best wing defender. Who do you got?
1: So he didn't make my top five, but very close, Andre Guadala.
0: Oh, yes. Cody Cody read the tea leaves on this one. He figured that I would have him in my top five. Uh, I do. Oh, you I, have him in your top I five. I do, yes. So why okay. is he not in your top five?
1: So this might be a bias of mine, right? I talk about this every other episode. You can get your 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 bingo card out, whatever else. It comes down a lot to rim protection. To rim protection, the rim protection. yes. And yes. I feel okay. like with Andre Guadala is that a lot of the times he's doing a lot of the point of attack stuff. And because of that I don't necessarily see a lot of the nail defense, the backline defense, and some of those opportunities where he's out there. I'm not seeing him be quite as destructive as some of these other players. He's not quite as big as some of these other guys that he's able to naturally slot over and do some of the work there. I think he has tremendous hands, like in terms of like slap down speed and targeting and stuff like that. He's right up there with anyone and sticking in in front of guys. But I just think the size and some of the off ball stuff it didn't quite convince me like some of my top five guys.
0: He has the best uh, multi year adjusted plus minus in our database, uh, that's not the same source uh, as as the one you referenced earlier, NBA shot charts from 2014, 2013, 2014 plus minus thinks that's his regular season peak. Um, he also in estimated plus minus has the eighth highest number here from 2014 again regular season. couple tricky things for me, Cody and you may move, you may move me down on him. As we go through the episode, you may be able to convince me. I might buy what you're selling. I like it a little bit. Um, His playoff numbers. It's hard to find a stretch in his entire illustrious career where his team is actually better defensively with him on the court in the playoffs than him on the bench. And again, we don't have huge samples. Like back when he played in Denver or uh, even just the multiple year seasons, Philadelphia, Denver, before he ended up in Golden State. He does have a stretch where his team is better, uh, 2009 to 2013. But what's the off-sample in that stretch? He only sits on the bench for like 500 possessions. So it's really hard to to sort this stuff out. And I was looking at these numbers, and I was kind of stunned that in Golden State, in this whole tenure, there's never really a stretch where the Warriors are better with him on the court defensively in the playoffs. And that's not really too damning. But I'm, I'm like, why would, why would this be? And then I started going back and looking at the film, and what you just said exactly jumped out to me. And it's this philosophical question of, if you're not a big rim protector, and you're a guy who's kind of chasing around... He, by the way, he's not great chasing and screen navigation, so he switches a lot. Now, the benefit of Andre Godala, I think, is that he can switch on like anybody. He can switch and play it well. He can switch on a big and hold him. He can switch on a point guard and play him. He can switch on big wings. And, of course, big wings are his specialty. But how much do we index on the 2015 finals where he won MVP by holding LeBron James to, um, you know, the funny funny part of the side, that, that line is like he held LeBron James to 35 points a game. But he also held him to poor shooting. Because he was able to use his strength, and he is very strong, use his hands, use his guile, use some of his footwork, and say, you're going to take a ton of hard shots if you try to isolate me, even though you are the cyborg known as LeBron James. How much do we over-index on that? Because that particular type of forward is probably Iguodala's, let's say, specialty. Like, that's probably the best matchup for him. This is where my mind was going in trying to figure out where to place him.
1: Let me let me tell you something that I found when I went back and was watching some 2014 Warriors. First of all, Jermaine O'Neal was starting at center. I forgot about that. That blew my mind for a second. He, he second, had a nice defensive peak in Indiana. Oh, he was tremendous. I wish we could have talked about him if we did like a early 2000s conversation. Uh, but Jeff Van Gundy on the broadcast says that Clay Thompson is probably the Warriors' best perimeter defender and we're in the 2014 playoffs. Now... I'm not using that as any kind of evidence, but it did strike me that somebody who I think has a really good analytical eye wasn't just like immediately thinking that Andre Iguodala was by far the best perimeter defender. I think there's a, an overrating of Clay's defense at times. I'm not using this as any kind of thing, but when I heard him say that, I'm like, huh, I find that interesting that he doesn't immediately go to Iguodala.
0: I have to say, in my experience, watching the games and scouting the film and then mapping it up to these big pieces of data, I feel like coaches are a little more predisposed to notice man defense or like screen navigation and executing a play without a breakdown versus paint presence, uh, shot blocking shots, deterring people from coming in the lane. Because as a, as a modern example, and I'm sure you want to bring him up next, so I'll just segue right into him. But someone like Jason Tatum, Right, like He doesn't always get the love when you watch playoff games for the Celtics. The Celtics had Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. They have Rob Williams. They have Al Horford, who was another guy that, if we had extended our honorable mentions last time, I could have done a nice piece on Al Horford's defensive peak. You have all these defensive pieces, and Tatum does not get noticed. But, for instance, if you go back and watch that uh, video we did last year on the Celtics defending Brooklyn and defending Kevin Durant... Tatum is not only a great wing defender for his time, but he has some monster defensive possessions against players like Durant. And I just feel like broadcasters are not not thinking in that direction all the time if they're ex-coaches when they pray. They're, they're more likely to praise like Avery Bradley or someone like that for getting into the basketball. You know what I mean?
1: Tatum's tough for me. I feel like this is a guy that like you could very much get me even higher on him because he is one of my honorable mentions. But when you break him down into his discrete skills, I'm not sure why I don't have him higher. Like going back from the last couple of years of our defense episode, I think he's consistently one of the best nail defenders in the NBA. He's tremendous at slot. I don't want to say tremendous. He's a very good player at back line rim protection. He has incredible length. He's able to chase people down uh i don't necessarily know if he can slot down very well i think he has some trouble staying in front of quicker guys but i think some of these other big guys are i don't know there was just something about it that like when i started stacking him against the the top of the top he didn't necessarily do any of it as well as them but i think in the context of current today you know he's definitely in there for one of the best wing defenders in the league
0: i agree i think if we did a top 10 or top 15 he'd definitely be there. Looking at my list of candidates, top 15, I want to say definite. Top 10 would be a more interesting discussion because these players are so close together. And again, just like we did last time, and maybe in a sense, because it's preliminary, we'll try to just rank them out in the order we think makes the most sense. But man, if we were to do ranges, if we were to really dig in and do ranges, I mean, Cody, I don't know how you feel. It's like, this guy could be 1 to 10, you know? Like there's there's a <laughs> wide range here in my head without really drilling deep, so I just want to re reemphasize that as part of this exercise.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at my top 5. I think you could convince me that Jason Tatum gets into that number 5 slot, kind of like I was talking about with Andre Robertson. Like you could technically get me to be there, but that's just not where I ended up when it all came down. Yeah,
0: to. I feel like there are guys I would I'm more comfortable with with their defensive performance. So so let me ask you uh, about a few more. Um, let's go back to the Tom Thibodeau Bulls days, Derek Rose. H- how do you feel about Luol Deng? He also has, I think, a number of really nice statistical signals, both in the postseason, his best postseason stretch from 2010 to 2016. His teams were about five points better per 100 defensively, with him on the floor, it's about 1,400 possessions in the off sample. So maybe 700 minutes. Again, not huge, but that's a little bit nicer than some of the ones we were talking about earlier in the playoffs. And then in the regular season, good, but not like amazingly great numbers. Um, plus multi year plus minus. His best stretch is about plus 2.5, which isn't too far off from those top guys I was alluding to earlier. How do you feel about him?
1: Let, let me ask you something about Lu Waldang. Did anything, did any of his defensive skills necessarily pop to you? Like, when you were watching, you're like, wow, there's not X number of people that do this better than him. Because that's how I feel. Okay, se- answer
0: my he, question. Okay, yeah. so he's got a really high motor. I think that's one right. thing that we should not underestimate. If you compare his skills and his physical makeup to someone like Tatum, Deng's motor is bad. Like, Dang, Dang has a ridiculous motor for a 6'7". wing forward. Screen navigation is really, really good for his size and his motor. I think he communicates well. That sometimes isn't the easiest thing to pick up From the outside, without being in the practices, without being on the floor, without having everybody mic'd up. But you can look at mouths, and you can look at pointing, and you can hear what coaches say. He seemed to have that reputation as a defensive leader and kind of as a sticky leader of that team holding everyone together. So those are the big things to me. Communicating, motor, screen navigation. And we shouldn't underestimate his length. I mean, he was a long uh, guy, and I think that helps in all these areas when you're in passing lanes, when you're switching, when you're at the nail. So I, I think, I don't know, I think he's he's got to be in this conversation as someone who could possibly crack this list, but I think you're not quite as sold, right?
1: Yeah, I can't necessarily tell you why. Maybe it's I need to go back and rewatch more of... of- uh, early year dangs what what years he are you, look, like, are you I looking think at 11, 2008, like two thousand and eight
0: like no 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 I think you got to. yeah, I think you got to go 2011, 2012. Okay. I think you got to go the heart of those Derek Rose bull's years. It feels like I feel like we should do a live Twitter poll with the audience again it, this feels like a cody guy, this feels like a guy that you would like and be high on i don 't know
1: yeah you know what maybe let let's let me put like a personal pin on Luol dang i'll come back to you you have homework at, at, <laughs> yeah at another time and i'll tell you if i if i if i was just wrong about dang if i sh- i should be higher on him
0: okay give me another candidate that you would like to discuss here who maybe uh maybe could be in your top 5 or i'm i don't know maybe he is in your top 5 maybe you've run out of i have th- i have three more guys yeah go ahead
1: there's okay there's one i'm not going to get to him yet but i think there's a guy who statistically people would want us to talk about, but I actually think he's further away than you'd think. Let's go to someone else that I think people would have higher. Uh, ben Simmons is in my honorable mentions.
0: Okay. I, I have him tentatively slated to move into the number five position. Oh. Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know why. I feel, I feel like if you talk about peak defensive ability, going back to like Jason Tatum as an anchor from this same era, I feel like Simmons is a little higher. I feel like Simmons can be more destructive at the point of attack. Simmons can uh, block shots quite well. He can get in passing lanes incredibly well. He does, you know, between his size and his agility. And, and it's weird to think about now because of what's happened in the last couple of seasons, but he read the game pretty well. So you have like this versatile Swiss army knife piece that you could put out there and theoretically play lineups where he's guarding the point guard. He's guarding the power forward. I just feel like there's a little bit more value from that, which means in my head, you know, can I get five guys from this generation who I'd rather have defensively than peak Ben Simmons? I I don't know. I don't know.
1: Okay. So... I'm going to start with the statistical thing, which seems like a major cop-out. Because we're talking about someone that was second in defensive player of the year in 2021. He was fourth in 2020. If we look at those three-year defensive RAPM stats, you know, some of these other guys we talked about, Tatum has a couple spurts in the top 20, uh, you know, Robertson's in the top 10 a couple of times, Iguodala's in the top 10 a couple of times. Ben Simmons never is in the top 60 in any of those three-year stretches, which was something that kind of concerned me a little bit. Going back and watching some of those playoff runs, especially in like, you know, 2021, I thought his motor was a little softer than I would have liked from somebody at this high level, especially at his size. I thought that he, he's a tremendous one-on-one defender. I like the fact that like, especially against the Hawks, he's able to just straight up defend Trey Young reasonably well. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive for somebody this size to be on a little, on a little uh, you know, jitterbug. Like Trey Young out there, but other than that, I'm like, you know what? I just don't see him doing some of this other off-ball stuff that I feel like I saw more of in the regular season. So I don't know if there's a tampering down in the playoffs. I don't know if I watched a couple of bad games again when I went back to it. But I even remember back in the day I was doing some work on on some of the best defense players in the year, and I just never I was never that high on Ben Simmons defensively. I understand that he's very good at it, but top five, top fifteen years, last fifteen years, I don't know Ben. I'm not quite convinced. Well, I'm very concerned about the playoff side of it. Because
0: if you start to uh, sort of clam up on offense and you start to have some of the issues that he had, especially in the Atlanta series with avoiding the free throw line or becoming passive, I don't get the sense that Simmons made up for that on defense. You know, this is an interesting sort of sidebar just throughout the history of basketball and probably applies to other sports. Like if, you're, if your shot is off or if your offense is off, how does that affect your defense? Do you ramp up and become a psycho and you're like, I got to make up for it. I got to make plays. Or do you kind of hang your head and start to get in your head? And now all of a sudden you miss a rotation. Now all of a sudden your motor isn't quite where it needs to be. I do get a little concerned about the defensive side of things. If you think his best defensive years were sort of 2020, 2021, maybe you can throw in 2019. And for perspective, it's a small sample again, but... Philadelphia was better when he went to the bench defensively per 100 in those limited minutes in in the couple years that we just referenced, 2018 to 2021. He goes to the bench for 900 possessions. They're four and a half points better on defense. And frankly, they just didn't have a great, this isn't like a great playoff defense. They were slightly above average playoff defense when he was on the court. So I do have some reservations about that, Cody. But I will say, if you look at regular season, he has the sixth highest peak here amongst these players in EPM, hmm. plus 3.0 uh, in EPM. Sorry, the fifth highest. I have a player listed twice because he was so good. Uh, <laughs> so he's, it's tough. It's really tough because I think the philosophical idea, which I know something that's something that you like, the idea of Ben Simmons is really this incredibly versatile sort of powerful Swiss army knife. Um, but there are some there are some questions. Okay, I'm going to ask you about a guy now. Yes. Let's let's flip the let's turn the turn the tables, flip the stakes, shall we? Uh, yes, one of your one of your great loves in life, Bob Covington. How, how do you Hold. Robert Covington? How do you feel about him?
1: Are you Are you saying him for an audible
0: mention? I Cody, I told you I have I have four guys and I have an open. I have to fill this open fifth slot. I don't know, oh. you know, I'm, I'm looking at Robert Covington here, um, you know, great weak side guy, could could be versatile, switch, of course, in Houston, he played like, he played like micro center, he was like, I don't know what he was in Houston, I know you love him, please, please talk to us about Robert Covington.
1: Roko, Ben, <laughs> is easily in my top five. E- Whoa. And the- the question Whoa. was how high am I going to be putting Robert Covington Whoa. in here. I think like 2017, 2018 Robert Covington, like if I were to make like a top 10 favorite players ever to watch, he might be in there. Like this guy's defensive ability is like his size. I, I think he's a lot bigger than some of these other guys. His his screen navigation, the way he's able to chase people, and like contort his body, the way that he's able to shoot gaps, the way I think even Mike De La Rosa made a video about uh, Houston's micro ball, his ability to slot down and play the five. Like this guy is so flexible defensively. There are spurts where he has to defend the other team's best player. He's off ball and just causing havoc everywhere. He's near the rim providing multiple levels of rim protection. If we look at those three-year DRAPM numbers, uh, he has four top 10 stretches, and he peaks at number one in the league during one of those stretches. I mean, you look at it statistically, you look at how the Philadelphia 76ers performed, Any number of combinations of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Robert Covington, it doesn't matter. If Robert Covington's on the court, their defense is just better. It doesn't matter who you take off, if he's alone, if he's just with one of them, they just constantly improve. I think he's almost the perfect jackknife defensive type of presence on a high-level defensive team. What
0: do you think his three best defensive attributes are?
1: His three... That's... Like, what are you thinking? Three
0: best. Well, I mean, do you like, think? Do you think as a wing, he protects the basket really well with his size vertically? Do you think it's point of attack switchability? Do you think it's screen navigation? Do you think it's awareness of threats and communication? What What really I, jumps out to you? What 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 drives this love affair, Cody? That's what we want to
1: know. I think the backline off-ball types types of instincts is reactions to threats are probably the highest types of things that I see, especially his abilities to go back and defend the rim. Interestingly enough, I don't think his rim protection numbers are quite as good comparatively to some of his other contemporaries. It seems like they could be better than they are. So this is definitely me going with the eye test over uh, some of the stats there. But I think he's also one of the guys that's maybe like a B plus in a lot of these different areas where some of these other guys might drop down to like a C plus C in some of the areas. So I think that's the jackknife thing. He can kind of just do it all defensively at a very high level.
0: Yeah, he's I mean, you mentioned the the numbers uh, in three year playoff LeBron 2018 to 2020. It's a small sample. He's only, he only plays about 700 minutes in that stretch, but he's seventh Highest among non non big men in that stretch at about plus three in that stat, and then an estimated plus minus in the regular season, he is also uh, sixth amongst non big men, also right around plus three. So I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of signals there that definitely have him up with some of these best defenders. I think the only thing for me is just trying to figure out like. Where where is he really maybe what we'd think of as an A or an A-plus or something? Not that you need that. I'm just in my head as I think about the idea of Robert Covington. Is it the ability to have that size and stay with guys on the perimeter? Is it the combination? If we go back to Ben Simmons as a comparison, is it the combination of, okay, he can he can switch out and end up on someone who's point of attack and he can play that way but then he also has the backline size for some rim protection what what is it that draws you in so much
1: i just think the the ability to do all of those things and the reason that he isn't necessarily like an a plus in any of those is probably why i don't have him number one on my list right because i flirted with how high i wanted to get him but there are a couple of guys i had ahead of him ahead of him and i'm like you know what because these guys are like clear s tier level defenders in these certain areas I'm going to take them over him, but I do – I'm just going to keep restating it, Ben. The jackknife level, the B plus, A minus jackknife level of all of those skills is what draws me to him. Okay.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Um, You're not quite convinced. Is there anyone else you want to discuss on the uh, honorable mention side of things? I've got two more names. They're a little bit older, but I've got two more names that I want to run by you.
1: I think at the end of this, we should just rattle off names, because I think people are deeply offended when we don't even say a name, and we just don't have time to get to all of these guys, because there's a lot of very good defenders.
0: Gerald Wallace.
1: Yes! That's one of the guys <laughs> that was... I don't necessarily want to talk about no, that much, but, but I want to, want to, to say his, his name. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. The guy I do want to talk about for a second, <laughs> Josh Smith. Oh, Cody. That was another name I just wanted to <laughs> say. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. He's not in my honorable mention. I think he has, it's shockingly bad defensive instincts. Like he's, his athleticism gets him some stats, but shockingly bad defensive instincts.
0: Yeah, I th- he, he's, a, he's an example to me of right regular season situation, especially back in that day. Um, stuff has changed. You know, the league has matured quite a bit in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, especially in terms of just scouting technology, night to night stuff. I could see his size both horizontally as a defender who can create steals and passing lanes, and just that beautiful rim protection he had, where back in, back in the day, Cody, you could play him at like small forward. I, I could mm-hmm. see that having a really nice regular season. He is someone I do get a little bit more concerned about in the postseason when things like awareness, communication, know your personnel, um, matchup hunting, all that stuff becomes an issue. So I, I'm, I'm with you. He's a name to me. I didn't have him here in my final consideration for top five.
1: No, I didn't either. I just, I thought I might. It was one of those guys I need to go back and watch a little bit more because I'm like, these are some good stats and uh, they don't indicate a ton.
0: Speaking of good stats, uh, it takes a, a while sometimes for our stat department to pull things, but we have the Robert Covington. 2019, I think, is the year you were thinking of Cody when he was able to uh I mean just the the rim protection here is just fantastic um when he was on the bench in 2019 teams shot 57% at the rim against uh Covington's teams 2020 sorry what why am I changing the year <laughs> let me try that again when he went to the uh court when he went to the court what is happening <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was called to court. Yes. He was on jury duty, Ben. Yes.
0: Uh, so 57% when he was on the bench. When he played, Cody, team shot 51% at the rim. That That is seriously moving the needle. The next year, 2020, of course, that was when he went to Houston and played that micro ball center. 60% at the rim when he was on the bench, and that dropped to 57% when he played. So for a wing, for a guy who could... Guard point of attack and get out there, that's a nice little signal in those two years to move. I mean, the average of that is about four and a half, five percent. That's that's really nice. So I think that gives some credence to what you're talking about. And I will say personally, I am I am persuaded by big wing forwards that have a signal of like, hey, these guys can protect the back line and the paint area well enough that teams either shoot fewer high percentage shots near the basket or they shoot them at a lower percentage or sometimes both
1: good I, I love to hear that Ben that make that warms my heart that you're coming around to Robert Covington because that's all I want to do is preach the good word of Robert Covington
0: okay um is let me ask you is Jimmy Butler another name for you just say just to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah He's I, I, yeah yeah he's closer to like a Tatum you know if you had if you had a list that was a little bit longer I think he would be there for me. I have two older players I want to ask you about, and then I'm going to have to make a decision on number five, and then we'll get to... uh, We've already done one of my top five, and we've done one of your top five, so we'll get to the other few guys at the top. One of the older names I want to ask you about is Shane Battier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, (laughs) I considered him, but I ultimately didn't think he quite got to this level. I think this is an incredibly cerebral defensive player. But I think, Ben, it's one of those things that's tough because he's not necessarily a particularly athletic person. I had a lot of adverbs in that sentence because I'm trying to to reduce the impact of the things. He's not a very athletic player. He doesn't have all the athletic gifts, and I think that holds him back from having the high-level defensive impact. Because if he was built like Robert Covington, if he could move like that with his... Positional awareness, his understanding of the game, his understanding of analytics before they were in vogue—I think he could have been, you know, one of the best defensive players in the last fifteen years. But physically, I think that's just the kind of thing that held me back with him.
0: Okay, I buy all that. I think I think he's more of, in a sense, more of a specialist as a man defender. Uh, maybe when he was younger in Memphis, could have a little bit more. But remember, we're talking about Houston and kind of Houston, Miami cutting it yeah. off at 2008 doesn't quite have the same statistical signals in this period as other players, but a huge name worth, worth mentioning here. And I have one more older name. And this one, this one, I feel like I have a little bit more consideration for I don't know what to do with them. But also, this one might be out of left field. I don't know if you're ready for this one, Cody. <laughs> Cody, Cody I'm is bad. making oh. a is making a gleeful, almost like evil villain smile (laughs) face at just what's to come. Um, Did you consider the defensive brilliance? Because you could argue it's not his peak. It's just maybe a little bit past his peak. Did you consider the defensive brilliance
1: of Sean Marion? Ooh, okay. I was wondering if you were going to say a guy that was my top five. I think, think, like you said, it's a little past Marion's prime defensively here. Uh, But I think this is a guy that, again, specializes in staying in front of guys. I think he switches down maybe better than he switches up because, you know, he's a little bit shorter. He's not necessarily going to defend much bigger guys in the post when it comes to post-up moves. There's definitely a few times against the Spurs, matched up against Tony Parker as the primary defender. Did a reasonably good job, you know, when we think about how quick Tony Parker was and how big Sean Marion is. But ultimately, I just didn't think he had enough juice from his actual prime, which is probably closer to, like, what, 2005? 2006-ish yeah so that's what I thought
0: yeah about. I mean that's the question defensively if you look at if you look at his adjusted plus minus over multiple years that we talked about earlier he's seventh among non-big men in terms of peak at plus three but that comes a little bit earlier but then you go through some of these playoff numbers and this one smacks me right in the face um, the from 2007 to 2012. And again, I'm cheating. I'm cheating by using 2007, but he gets Mm -hmm. traded and doesn't play in the playoffs in 2008. Why? Mm. Why did they do this? Uh, Didn't they know we were going to do a podcast 15 years (laughs) later and we needed to have this data point? Okay. Cody, in those years, one Phoenix year and the Dallas years, his teams are 10 points better per 100 in the playoffs when he's on the court defensively than when he's on the bench. It's only 1,100 possessions of the bench, so that's like 550 minutes, I would guess. But those are really good defenses, that defense that won the championship. You're right. I think he switches down and takes point guards and does things to them with his length and his ability to use a cushion. It's like a mini Kevin Garnett on the ball in that sense. Like, he's still super quick. I think he defended LeBron James very well in the 2011 finals. So it feels like a guy who in the playoffs could be slightly more valuable at this later stage of his career where he's not going all out in the regular season, right? And so maybe the regular season signals, the, the, the few pitiful signals that we have aren't as strong. But the thing that's compelling to me is I don't know if you can say like 2008, 2009, Sean Marion is that far off his peak, and and should Sean Marion, if we had like a twenty year list instead, should he be in the top seven or eight defensively, with just how quick he was, passing lanes, versatility, some rim protection? I mean, he seems like another Cody Bingo guy, where you're hitting checking a lot of boxes. I, I don't know, but i ha- I have to I have to float it out there.
1: I'm also thinking. You're making me question myself here, Ben.
0: Excellent. That's what we're here for.
1: Because I always thought of Sean Marion, because I don't think, especially in some of those Phoenix Suns years, that there's necessarily some big defensive signals. And I know we're talking outside of this 2008. We're cheating a little bit. So just relax for a second, people. We're cheating. But there's not huge statistical signals about his defense. But I also don't think he's the type of defensive player that is going to be the singular defensive force. Otherwise, he would have been on a previous episode. He's like the perfect kind of guy if you're trying to build a high-level defense. So like if we're thinking about, like, all right, we need to go to war with these guys that can match up across you know the wide gamut of offensive players that we're going to meet. Sean Marion's right at the top of a guy you'd want on your roster to just kind of throw out there and be like, all right, you're going to be ready to handle anything. So maybe I'm actually underrating him based on some of that. Maybe I'm underrating the fact that he still does have some of that quickness, some of that versatility. Um, That's what I'm saying. Maybe I'm underrating him, Ben.
0: Okay. I I feel like there's an extra player somewhere. I have... We've done one guy in my top five. I need to pick... I need to put one of these players in my fifth position, and then I have a top three. But I feel like there's an extra player. So would you... Would you like to float someone out there? Maybe who you have number five. I don't know. It just feels, feels like you have an extra guy.
1: I, I just want to call out here that we're doing a top five list. And at the 45-minute mark of the podcast, we are now deciding to get into that top five list. Well,
0: to be fair, we, we, have, both, <laughs> we have both put our toe in the top five (laughs) on our own list. And there's only a few players left because of the nature of this. So, you know,
1: it's also, it's an excuse for us to talk about all of these guys. So I don't think that the list is necessarily like the big reveal. It's just, you know, we get to talk about some of these guys. And I still think at the end, we're going to need to say a couple of names so that fan bases uh, (laughs) that might be north of us don't come like charging down to attack us. Should I give you my number five, Ben? Yes, please. I would love to. I'm afraid that you haven't mentioned him and I'm afraid you're going to be like you're insane this is the worst pick I have, he's outside of his peak ben hold on i have
0: everybody <laughs> i have everybody mentioned that i have like 17 players mentioned who is this i feel like I've, i feel like i know who you're going to say in
1: yeah. my number 5 i've andre curling yeah
0: but do we really what are we just doing 2008 that's it yes okay yes okay and we really yes. think that 2008 Andre Kirilenko had the same I'm gonna I'm gonna call it helicoptering effect on the basketball floor than he had in like two thousand four, two thousand five.
1: No. no, not at all. And if he did, he'd be like number two on my list. Number, okay,
0: so I just or feel like one. I just feel like there's a bigger there's a bigger drop off there between peak Andre Kirilenko in and, and 2008, but go ahead, sell me. Maybe maybe okay. maybe he was much better that season than I'm remembering.
1: So here's a guy that basically plays out of position for his entire peak, right? He's playing at the three. He clearly should have been the four. He has the size for it. I think it's the fact that he lacked some strength. You can go back. There's plenty of times Lamar Odom's just backing him down, shoving him into the basket, finishing up with some layup, layups and things like that. But when it comes to like... Especially, like, 2004, we're talking about one of the high-motor guys, like, ever- I think he's extremely athletic. He's very fast going straight down the court, and I think he does lose some of that before 2008, but this is still a very willing guy that's like, there's the ball, I'm going to go attack it. Some of his weak side defense is incredible. His length allows him to get up to the top of the square really quickly, so all of a sudden he just materializes and he can block some shots. There are multiple times in the 2008 run, which I think they the Jazz get knocked out in the, the, the semifinals. He's guarding Kobe Bryant for stretches. You know, against the Lakers, he's guarding Tracy McGrady for stretches against the Rockets. His his lineup that he's next to that he's starting with includes Carlos Mehmed Mamedo Kerr, uh, Darren Williams, none of whom are very strong defensive players. He does have Ronnie Brewer next to him, who's very strong defensively. But this is a guy that has to do a lot, especially when you see guys like Paul Millsap coming off the bench, who's bringing some of that defensive juice. You just go back and watch, and I'm like, this is a guy that can cover so much ground. I don't think the foot speed is quite where it used to be in front of some of these other guys, but rim protection, off-ball play, just nose for the ball and, and seeing what what threats are coming. I don't know, man. I don't think there's five guys I'd want to pick over him.
0: I I mean, I think you sold it. I think the hard part here is how much are you cheating? Because the same scouting report that you just described could apply to like peak Andre Kirilenko, and so the question is... How much I I don't I don't really remember I don't really remember how much he changed except I do know it wasn't peak in two thousand eight but the question was compared to the defenders that we just talked about you know was he better for for instance um, in the two thousand eight season when he was on the bench team shot fifty eight percent at the rim when he was on the court team shot fifty nine percent at the rim so is he having that same crazy effect uh i don't know that's the tricky part for me cody
1: so okay this is this is this is the part of the game that i was holding out on the stats are not kind to him in this kind of mm-hmm. story, yeah. right so there's a lot of on off stuff where like the jazz are actually better both in the playoffs and regular season better defensively when he's on the bench I didn't know if there's something to do with the fact that the starters were so weak defensively and you had guys like Paul Millsap and Matt Harpering coming off the bench who are a little bit stronger defensively than the likes of, you know, Mehmet Oker and and Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams. I don't know, man. I'm going pure vibes on this one. When I went back and I was watching, them, like, yes, sir. This is exactly who I want as a defender. I don't know. I could be swayed, but I went with my gut on this one.
0: Okay. All right. That's fair. Just for perspective, in 2004, which might be one of his peak defensive seasons. He does have that rim protection signal just with his size and just, again, he feels like a helicopter to me. Uh, 53% at the rim when he was on the bench, 50% at the rim when he was in the game. So you do see something like that with his rim presence, I think, making a difference. So I love that you're going with vibes. I think if I have to go with vibes, then we've talked through this number five pick. I'm never going to feel good about this unless I can go under the hood. So I think, based on our conversation, for me, it would be uh, let's say Robert Covington. I think yes. you, I think you convinced yes. me. And, and and here's why. Here's why. Compared to Sean Marion, compared to Andre Roberson, uh, Rob Roberson, Robert Roberson, Andre Roberson. B- basketball references, Roberson. Yeah, no, I, got, I said
1: Roberson for years. Yeah, so I don't know. No,
0: I was the same way. But I think you got to go with basketball reference. I think it's Roberson. Compared to those guys even some of the things we talked about with Ben Simmons, I would rather have just a big dude who can kind of like play the outside and play the inside and has a bigger, bigger presence around the basket and the paint. And I think that's Robert Covington. So I think if I have to default here as we talk through it, I'll take him as my number five. We already talked about my number four, Andre Iguadala. I don't feel great about that. Either because of all the things we talked about, I'm kind of he's kind of trending downward in my yeah. head, if that makes sense. Um, but I do feel pretty good about my my big three. I think my big three are the three best. I think those to me are the three best uh, wing defenders that I've seen in the last
1: 15 years. Do you have a number four? Have we skipped that? We we have the same three remaining players. I can just I can feel it. I think I'm lower on this guy, and I could very easily be convinced because I think there's a good chance you have him. At your number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wait, wait, wait.
0: Who'd you have number five? Number five was Andre Kirilenko. Okay, that's right. And sorry, number four. So sorry.
1: Number four is Paul George.
0: You have Paul George at number four. I have Paul George. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tell me about Paul George at number four.
1: Well, I feel terrible about Paul George. Like (laughs) 2014, he gets the gruesome. Did you? Were you? Happen to be watching when he had the gruesome leg injury when he like landed on the stage? Did I watch it live? like, Like. yeah,
0: uh, I don't. I don't think I saw it live. It, it's yeah.
1: a weird question. It doesn't matter if you saw it live. I just yeah. remember I was watching it live because that's when I was really. We'll do it. We'll ego. do it live. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, it, it was gross, but he did, he never quite recovered. Even though there's some really interesting statistical indicators for his defense, like in the last couple of years. Uh, but I really do think that the 2013-2014 span is probably his defensive peak. Just like an enormous, long human being, great instincts able to rotate down, protect the rim. I think in terms of staying, like if we're directly comparing him to like Robert Covington, I think he's better at directly defending wait, someone one-on-one. Wait, on
0: one. wait a second. Do you have Covington number three? Yeah. Okay. This is, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is wrong.
1: I could have had Covington higher. This is, this I, could is, have had, this I could have had Covington higher. This is wrong. Oh, give, me, give me your Paul George. Give me your no, Paul hold George. Hold on,
0: ben. hold on, hold on. So, so I, think, I think the audience now has figured out who the top three are here so so let's talk it through we are talking about paul george we're talking about uh lebron james and we're talking about Kawhi Leonard, right Yes. yes okay okay if we compare them who who has the weakest rim protection of that group for you
1: off the top of my head
0: oh yeah i see i don't even have to yeah that's 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 a layup for me I, I, think think you I, say,
1: I think you want to say Kawhi, of don't course. you? Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. Don't you, don't you think? Maybe. I feel like he, I, is, he is not the same vertical shot blocker as the other two. But the other thing that's interesting is Kawhi's uh, maybe even weakness is that like awareness, threat detection, peeling off into the paint, picking up a guy and tagging because he's so focused on his own man. I think if Kawhi, I think Mo DaChile once said this. Um, of course, former former film coordinator who has uh, you know had firsthand experience with these guys. I think he said if Kawhi had his Druthers, everyone would just do their job on defense. <laughs> there would be no breakdowns. <laughs> everyone should just be doing their job. And I kind of that's we'll talk about it in a second. Like those are all his strengths, but I think the reason why he's weaker protecting the basket vertically and right around the basket is also because he's so honed in on his guy 60% of the time or whatever, if it's a, if it's a key matchup that he's not sensing a breakdown or a cutter and ripping off and, you know, Uh, deterring a shot or blocking a shot. That's where I think the difference is between the other two, where I think LeBron James, that's his strength. His strength Mm -hmm. is sort of like probing around on the weak side and going, okay, I know this exact play. This is Punch 21 Hawaii, and uh, they love to run it. Chris Paul loves to look into the audience and fake an inside-out dribble, and I'm going to go over, and I'm going to totally blow this play up. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, I think you hit it there, because when we talk about, like, pure like, what you see defensively on the first pass. I do think, like, LeBron would probably be third in terms of, like, you know, who's staying in front of these guys, who has better hands targeting the ball, who's going to be stripping players, who's going to make the, you know, the tremendous lengthy grab in the middle of the passing lane. I think Kawhi and and Paul George are probably better than him, but I think in the sense of that awareness, uh, yeah, he's probably the best of all those guys. He can kind of react to them, knows exactly what play is coming. And I didn't know how to quite balance that, and so, I don't know, Ben. These three guys, these four guys, I should say, I really had a, a, I struggled with them. I struggled with them. I could have seen them in any order, but I ended up with Paul George at four and Covington at three.
0: Well, th- don't don't get stuck up on the order yet. We still okay. We still are parsing these things. We're going to punt Rob Covington into the sun for a second. We've already discussed him. You've already convinced me to move him uh, no. to number five, but I really want to talk about these three guys. Okay, so LeBron, Let's, let's say man defense, just yeah. straight-up man defense. I think LeBron is the worst yes. of the group. That's, that's not really his
1: strength, right? I agree with that.
0: And who do you think is better between
1: Paul George and Kawhi? It depends on what position you're talking about that they're defending. Because I think if we're talking about like a stronger player that can go in the post more, I think Kawhi. But I think if we're going a little bit smaller... Going down to the point guard level, I think Paul George is the best man defender.
0: Boy, it's interesting. Um, they, I, I, here's a question about Kawhi specifically. He will make plays, and I'm not saying these other guys won't make these plays, but he will make plays in on-ball situations with his hands that just make you laugh. They, I feel like they make Zach Lowe lose his mind. I feel like Zach Lowe has not recovered from things like Ben McLemore trying to dribble around Kawhi Leonard and getting ripped like two or three possessions in a row. Um, just for this alone, and I have more familiarity with these three players, but just for this podcast alone, I pulled up some Kawhi Leonard defensive footage. And in about the first minute, he makes a play where someone's like dribbling down the paint Trying to dribble by him. They're not an elite ball handler. And he just whoosh, he just sticks one of those claws in there and it's done. Then, two plays later, someone gets around a screen, Kawhi's on his hip, takes two dribbles into the paint, and all of a sudden Kawhi has the ball like palmed in his hand. What happened was he tried to throw a pass somewhere and Kawhi ate the pass. He just ate it like a dinosaur claw, just came out of nowhere and suction cupped it. So he does these plays on defense that are super highlight worthy, but I feel like they also mess with your brain a little bit and that they're worth the exact same thing as any other steal, but you watch them and you just go, how could I ever forget that? That's the great, that's the most amazing defensive thing I've ever seen, but it's not worth more. You know, it's like, it's, I, I think the analogy I could come up with would, it would be like an offensive player doing a 360 before making a jumper, not a layup, a jumper. Like, Kobe comes off the curl, and he catches it, and he does a 360 and then shoots the shot and makes it. They kind of blow your mind, but it would be worth the exact same number of points as a Shaquille O'Neal layup.
1: Here's the thing about Kawhi, though, okay? Because I agree with you. I giggle quite (laughs) loudly whenever I watch Kawhi Leonard play defense. But the thing with his hands... Is I've never seen somebody use them to just bother people's possession so much. So, like, let's say he's on somebody one-on-one. It's not necessarily that he's picking their pocket for a steal, but, like, they're in the triple threat position. In, like, five seconds, he's already hit the ball, like, three times. And the player's just, just, like, trying to hold it away. Like, dude, like, just relax. Let me, like, go somewhere. Right? He does that constantly. Whenever he digs, it's over. Right. He digs down to somebody that's in the post. It's going to be deflected. Right. The guy's going to have to like readjust and figure out what's going to happen. It's not necessarily a turnover or anything like that, but he's just constantly it feels like in everyone's head because if he's in their space like at all, his hand is going to be there and it's going to throw off everything that they're doing. And I've never seen somebody I, I genuinely think he has like the best wing hands ever. And I I just, I've never seen anyone be able to do that kind of thing. And I think that disruptive force where you're just walking around is like this bubble, this like shredding bubble. I I don't know, man. I thought that was pretty cool. And I also think he has the solid rim protection along with all of that, which, like you said, maybe it's not as strong as the other two guys. But when you add it up with this other kind of just like radius of pain that he brings to the court... (sighs) I, I think it's pretty valuable
0: i i agree with the hands i think his hands are unreal i think he has some of the best hands if not the most destructive hands for a wing defender that we've ever seen um pretty good quick feet when he's younger by the way for me like we're talking talking 2014 circa Kawhi leonard uh that that is the uh creme de la creme pinnacle of defense for him at the nail like you said being able to slide over and disrupt um He's pretty good around screens for his size, probably like, what, 6'6", six, six barefoot. So they can all switch out onto point guards, all these guys. But I think Kawhi is really good in that department. The, the trade-off, of course, is I think he can get a little tunnel vision, as I alluded to earlier. I think he under-communicates. I think he can be a little quiet out there. because Kawhi? He, quiet. Quiet, yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Kawhi doesn't communicate. No, yes. we can't be talking quiet. <laughs>
0: um <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's like he's gonna chase somebody instead of calling for an early switch or something like that. yeah, I think you have to balance all that. I think you have to balance okay. all that. And I think I think all three of these guys, because they're bigger, and LeBron and Paul George are even bigger. LeBron and Paul George are kind of humongous. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're probably like at least an inch, maybe two inches bigger than Kawhi, and of course LeBron, especially during the Miami years. You know, we're talking about additional weight, so they're all vulnerable to change of direction. But all great switchable defenders, um, Le- George feels more like Kawhi in a sense as a as an archetype because George, as you said. They could just put him on like anybody. They're like, hey, oh, well, we're going to play a point guard. Why don't you go chase him around? Yeah, like, Derek Rose. Like, go destroy Derek Rose. And to me, 2013, that's P- Paul George. Hmm. So this is not PG 13, ladies and gentlemen. This is PG 24. Okay. When you go see Paul George and he's wearing 24 in Indiana, the way that guy moved athletically at like 6'9", how quick he was, how well he could get around screens for his size. And then the timing and adjustments as he moved with the ball with the combination of his hips and his feet and then the length with the arms. uh, I mean, it was just one of the most destructive things I've ever seen. And that doesn't even bring up his size as a a backline rim protector. Um, Cody, let's look at some rim protection numbers for some of these guys, please. 2013 and 2014, when George was on the bench, team shot about 51% at the rim. When he was on the floor, they shot 48%. So it's similar to what we've seen earlier from this quote-unquote small forward wing defender, really nice consistent signal over multiple seasons where you're 3% worse at the basket. Uh, LeBron James, if you go back to like his Miami days, doesn't quite have the same regular season number. The teams are usually the same when he's on the bench or on the floor at the rim. The exception is 2013 it's really the only time during the period. Teams shoot 56 percent when he's on the bench and 54 percent at the basket. So by the way, in case you're keeping notes, 48 percent for the Indiana Pacers. Um, that was such a fun crazy Pacers group with Roy Hibbert, who we talked about last time, and uh, George Hill and David West and Lance Stevenson and all those guys. So George, to me, brings the best of a lot of these worlds together. LeBron is uniquely different. And I think we see it in the playoffs where he like knows everything that's going on. Most of the time, he knows your plays, he knows what you're running. And he's almost more of a, that, that Kevin Garnett, Draymond Green, middle linebacker on the back line. And I think that's the reason why later in his career in Los Angeles, in the 2020 title run, even though he was older and he couldn't move as well and his agility is diminished, having that role where he can play on the back line and just call out everything that's happening, know where to go, rotate early, that to me provides a ton of value. So, but all of these players in their own right have this like hybridization between the things we talked about last time with a big and the things we talked about with traditional perimeter defenders. I think that's why they're at the top. But if I had to scale it, I would say like Kawhi is more of the perimeter defender strength, LeBron is more of the big man strength, and Paul George is maybe in between.
1: I think the other thing that LeBron brings to the table beyond just like the the mapping of it all is that he can. I think he's quicker. He's more just like twitchy. I should say as an athlete. Like Paul George, we know is an incredible leaper. He threw down like a three sixty windmill in a game. Incredible dunk contest performances. He has the the poster. Is it, does he posterize Birdman or Bosh? I think it's Bosh. He's has a, a poster on Bosh during the playoffs, right? If I'm not mistaken,
0: I can't. I, can't, I, I know the dunk you're talking about. I I can't yeah. remember. I thought it was it's on LeBron. Incredible.
1: It, I don't. Th- I think he blows by. Maybe he goes he blows by, by LeBron. Brosh? Yeah. Okay. He blows by yeah. LeBron. This is and then great then radio it. when everyone uh, else knows the play except us. <laughs> I think. I think more people than not know it. They're like, ah, that was a great play that Paul George. But anyway, LeBron like. He can make a play over on this side of the court and it swings around. And I think of these three guys, he's the one that can most clearly or closely like teleport to the other end. Like his recovery speed is just incredible. Of course, we haven't even mentioned the chase down blocks, which, you know, I don't know how valuable we can talk about this being, but we're taking a virtually like 99% shot and turning it into 0% with the way that he was able to target in some of those. I think that was probably earlier, like maybe 2009-ish when he was better at the chase downs. He was still incredible during his Miami days. I don't know, man. Uh, this is tough. This is tough. And Wait. I think ultimately, like everything that you were saying, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm undervaluing like the fact that Kawhi is not as good of a communicator as LeBron or uh, isn't able to like, get through screens or whatever else as Paul George. I do think you talk about the size thing. I think Kawhi is probably longer than either of these two. I think his, his actual arm span along with his hand size just makes it. So he seems a little bit bigger that way. So I don't necessarily know if that's a huge point in their favor. I don't,
0: he, I don't know. Really? He has the biggest wingspan of this group? You don't think so? I never thought I, about it. I it's it's over seven feet, right? So you might you I bet you, you, I bet be you right. it's a
1: couple inches more than either yeah. of them.
0: Yeah, because I think LeBron is is seven feet ish or maybe a little bit over seven feet. And I think Kawhi is probably even longer. I I didn't I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Um if we look at stats, Cody, some of the stats we talked about, just the the pure adjusted plus minus Paul George is the best of this group. He's the fourth highest non-big in our database on thinkingbasketball.net, which is available for uh, Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's over plus three for Paul George there. He's number four among all the non-bigs. But Kawhi, in estimated plus minus, he he is the one I was alluding to earlier, holds the two highest non-big, or at least I think from this group, you can filter out minutes and things like that. In 2016, he was like, right at the top of the league at plus 4.3 and in 2014 he's plus 3.6 now that's interesting to me because I know the plus minus data starts to turn on him a little bit in 2016 and yet that's the year that that stat likes the best where top to bottom to me there's no question that I'd rather have the younger 2014 defensive focused Kawhi Leonard than the the 2016 version that was playing more offense um, and then the playoffs. The last thing we've talked about is trying to make some sense of some of this multi-year playoff on-off data. Kawhi Leonard from 2013 to 2017, these Spurs were three points per 100 better defensively when he was on the floor, and they were a good defense. They were, they were a good defense. They were about minus six relative to their opponent's so that's, that's a very good playoff defense with Kawhi. LeBron from 2012 to 2017, a little bit of a longer sample. So we lose the peak Miami years, but we get some of those swarming, vertical, shot-blocking Cleveland years when you know, they won the title in 2016. His teams were four points better per 100. Um, again, weaker defenses. And then Paul George. Cody, I hope you're sitting down. Paul George from 2011 to 2016, his teams were nine points better. The Pacers were nine points better per 100 when he played in the defense and when he played in the playoffs versus when he sat. And they had about the same quality as the Kawhi Leonard Spurs defensively. So, uh, how to order them? (laughs) I don't. I don't really think you can go wrong in any order. That's my big takeaway. But I I can I can make a case I can make a case for how to order them.
1: Okay, G- give me give me a. Oh,
0: I thought you would. I maybe I thought you would fall on the sword first.
1: Oh, I okay. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll fall on the sword first. Uh, I'm starting to think maybe Covington should be number one on my <gasps> list. <laughs> Okay, fine. Here, here's what I have: number five, Kerelenco; number four, Paul George; number you're, three, Covington. You're
0: sticking with Paul George. Four. I haven't moved you at all on Paul George. Not with Robert Covington. You're lucky. I'm not
1: moving him. I'm going right to
0: send now. you. I'm going to send you a Paul George package. It's going to be a care package of PG24, okay. a compendium of his best clips. I'm going to send that your way.
1: I'm just going to send you a statue of Robert Covington. That's it. Like a miniature statue that you can put in the background there for everyone to watch. Number two, I got LeBron. Number one, I put Kawhi Leonard.
0: Okay, so we agree on almost everything because I have Kawhi Leonard over LeBron James as well. But Cody, I mean, we have to go on vibes. This is a vibes Mm -hmm. show. And if I had to pick 2013, Paul George is the best wing defender I've seen in the last 15 years. The, The man is just ridiculous in every phase of the game. I I think I think you could convince me to put him up in this group without some of what he does to like smaller guards. Hmm. And yet the things that he does to smaller guards, they kind of rival what Kawhi Leonard does to smaller guards, but I just I think I think George is better in the paint. I think George is better vertically blocking shots. I don't know. I don't think you can go wrong with any of these guys. I think these to me are the three best uh perimeter defenders. I've seen, and this is nice that that we disagree because um, yeah. you know you have you have your old friend Bob Covington in there, and it's okay. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before I inundate you with PG twenty four clips.
1: Something I want to ask you about with Paul George, which is interesting, going to those three year DRAPM numbers. uh They seem to think, like, around this area you're talking about, like the 2013-2015 stretch, he's, like, 20th in the league, 20th in the league in the next stretch. It seems to think that the last couple of stretches he's had from, like, 2018 to 2020, 2019 to 21, 2021 to 23, he's top five in the league in DRAPM. What do you think about his Clipper defense compared to his pace? Because, like, from my eye, I didn't even think it was close. I thought Paul George was clearly better. Defensively, earlier when he was with the Pacers, but I don't know. Statistically, it seems like he's uh, right up there still.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think he's still a good perimeter defender. I don't think we are talking about the wrecking ball we saw when he was younger in Indiana. I think he was good in Oklahoma City as well. Okay. So, yeah, I I, th- I think the interesting thing that you're getting at with with him is I think in many ways he might be these sort of like Most unheralded, underappreciated wing defender, maybe of all time. Um, It's hard to make a comparison there because there's so many great wing defenders from yesteryear that have just been forgotten because so many years have gone by. But, I mean, he made four all-defensive teams. And yet, I think if you look at the totality of his peak and where he was in the early 2010s, 2013 season, 2014 season. uh, I don't think that's ever been like something fully celebrated by the basketball community in the same way that, say, Kawhi's defensive peak has been. But then to your point, when you're that big and you move that well and you're that skilled defensively, he's probably carried more defensive value as he's improved as an offensive player than a lot of people maybe give him credit for or realize. And we're going into the 2024 season, right? That's, that's, that's a long time. And yes, he's had some injuries and he's missed a little time, but I mean, it's been a long time that he's been an extremely effective defender. And if you look at Cody, if you go like to basketball reference and you look at the all defensive voting shares, in 2013, he got the fifth most voting shares in the league. 2014, he got the second most. Now, I think that's one of those things where the playoffs from the year before boosted his profile a little bit. But then he has the injury. In 2019, that was the Oklahoma City year where he almost won MVP. He finished second in all defensive votes. And now with the Clippers, I don't think quite as good, but still like still a good wing defender, especially for this newer style of basketball where you have more five out more switching more guys like him playing the four and the five uh I I just I think he's probably had a very underrated defensive career when you look at the totality of just how good he was at his best and what he's been able to maintain
1: I agree with that I actually think the last couple of years maybe even since they they became teammates in Los Angeles I think Paul George has been the better defensive player of the two uh in these last few years
0: yeah i think he's i think in many ways he's been used more at times as the better defensive player you go you go take away the point of attack something like that um of course they they don't play that much together so that's always something to overcome um any final words here now that we've done another hour and 15 minutes on (laughs) perimeter defenders um
1: Apologies to Mikhail Bridges, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi. Who are they? Just a couple players that needed to be said, I think.
0: Okay, all
1: right. We doing we doing guards next week, Ben? Guards, <sighs> yeah.
0: Next, we're gonna come back and we're gonna do guards. We're gonna finish out this series, and I'm already. I'm just realizing, like, if this was this difficult, guards might be completely impossible to differentiate because maybe all the best guards are within like a quarter point in my head. Uh, you know, you can have a tier of like 10 or 20 guards, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to sort them out. Well, I can think of one guy who I, who I like a lot, but
1: I went, I started doing a little bit of the prep. I love this is on the podcast. I started doing the prep yesterday and I was like, Oh, this guy's clearly going to be the best. And I'm like, Oh, this guy's clearly the best. And then I said that for like six of them. I'm like, Oh crap, this is going to be tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out since they, peaked all around the same time in 2013 Kawhi Leonard um boy I just had it here my ability to use the computer is really going downhill defensive player of the year Paul George got eight votes in 2013 and LeBron James got 18 votes in 2013 Finishing in second place overall to uh, Marc Gasol. And then in 2014, in Defensive Player of the Year, LeBron James got two votes, finishing sixth. Paul George got zero votes, finishing seventh. And Kawhi Leonard got 11, uh, zero votes, finishing 11th. Hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I am a believer in 2014 Kawhi. Again, Kawhi wins the defensive player of the years after that but i think the playoffs are the thing that kick it up in people's minds um and get them voting for them the next year
1: yeah you have to have the indelible moment you have to go and take on kevin durant and block a couple of his jumpers and then people are like oh this guy can play defense
0: yeah if you want to support this show check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball uh, otherwise thanks as always for listening all the way through on this one we'll be back next week with the third and final part of this series. And uh, as always, of course, I hope you are having a great day.